Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Well, hey love, what's the story? Ah, there you are now. What's the crack? Tell me this and tell me no more. Oh, stop waiting, I tell you. I am a bound to pick with you. I'm doing a line with her. Relax the cocks. Come on, I like It's ballsy. We ever get Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Tis Yourself. Hope you're all well. How are you keeping? If you're at Westlife last night, oh my God, weren't they amazing? And if you're going tonight, you're going to have an absolute ball of a time. Um, it's a f- that weird part of the summer, isn't it, where we're catching up on two years of concerts and it feels like we have one every single day. Every single day. Broken we are. And yet, it's better than the days when we couldn't go anywhere, isn't it? So every time I find myself complaining, I'm like, Nicola, come on. Two years ago, you couldn't go see Dermot Kennedy or Shane from Westlife. Come on. Anyway, never mind that. Thank you so much for pressing play on this episode. I'm going to guess I'm going to get a lot of new listeners because a lot of you are fans of this lovely lady. We've had such great guests in the last few weeks. And this series is like mainly Irish people, which is fab. Obviously, being an Irish podcast, everyone from James Patrice, Trisha's Transformation, Tommy Fleming, we've had Denise Nolan, so many amazing Irish people, Joe Rooney um, over this season. I think we're probably going to even out that this will be the most Irish season of this Irish podcast. So that's always fantastic. And my next guest, of course, is a gorgeous, fabulous Irish woman, Nigerian Irish woman. So she is here to tell her story from when you suppose you would first know her from when she was in Love Island where she is now, her hopes for the future and all about her book. You may not have known this, but Yuanda has brought out her own book. Let me tell you this, it is not an autobiography. So in case you're like, ah, oh, here, ah, oh, Jesus, she's only out in the industry and she brought out a book about her, you know, her life story. That is not the case. It is a series of essays. Yuanda has been known for doing, um, she's done a couple of articles for newspapers and for print or for online as well um, about different issues, whether it's, you know, the Black Lives Matter and stuff like that. In this, she addresses so many subjects. So there'll be something that each of you will take from it because she talks about friendships, dating, online relationships, as in, you know, the, the how we follow social media, etc. Obviously, she also talks about racism. She talks about colorism. She talks about her name. And when I first read that chapter, I was like, she's opening up about her name. And it didn't make any sense to me at first before I read it. But then I realised that this has been something that's followed around for a long time, that people who didn't know how to pronounce her name or who did know but deliberately pronounced it wrong as a way of kind of degrading her and imagine everyone calling you the wrong name like every single day I'm sorry oh I would just be like I'd probably punch someone so fair play to her for not punching anyone so far 
so far. <laughs> she also talks about her mental health issues. Uh, in the book, she will explain that she has she battled an eating disorder when she was younger. I won't give any more into that. You'll hear her her um, her take here, and also you can get to read it in her book Reclaiming, which is out on July fourteenth. So uh, you'll be able to pre-order that, or you'll be able to go into shops physically and buy it or buy it online in the next few days. But anyway, this lovely lady, she won us over in Love Island. She's been styling and looking fabulous ever since as an influencer. You know, she's been outspoken on the issues. She's not shied away. She's addressed anything that's, you know, upset her or upset people close to her. And it was just so lovely to get to chat with her, have a serious laugh at her, serious chat, serious laugh. We had great crack. And also I was the first person who had read her book. So that wasn't a publisher or wasn't, you know, someone in that book industry. So no pressure on me or anything, but I did. Um, I hope you all enjoy this chat and do pick up her book afterwards. Anyway, I'll let, her, I'll let you on to take over here. This is my chat with her. Enjoy. Thank you so much for chatting to me today. I'm so excited to get to chat to you. Um, I read your book, finished it last night. You finished it? Yes, I finished it. Oh my God, that's a long ass read. Jeez. Yes. When did you get the book? Like when Tuesday, today is right. Oh my God. So I uh, put it up on Goodreads that I was reading it and I was the first person to read it on Goodreads. So I have to go in and leave a little review now. <laughs> oh my God, it's so crazy that you spend like eight months of work and then someone reads it in like three days. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I'm so much about it. I want to talk to you about it. I literally was halfway through and I was like, I should have been taking notes probably. And then I started taking notes, but then I keep reading and I forget to like you know, write something down. I was like, oh, so I'll be bouncing around the place talking about it. But I suppose we'll get started anyway. And so, because otherwise I'll just keep talking to you and then I'll be like, uh, I forgot to start the podcast. <laughs> so um, the the book, the one thing that um, I suppose you, you talk a lot about your childhood in the book and was that kind of weird for you to go back and start like having to decipher, like look into things that you maybe didn't talk about before? Yeah, I always say... Um, not like I've spoken to anyone really because the book hasn't come out yet. But I always I said to my editor and a few of my friends that I was writing the book that I feel like it was like a therapy session for me. Um, I think a lot of things that I talked about, a lot of things I unlocked were like, especially, for example, in my mental health chapter, there's a lot of things that I don't think I've ever said to anyone or spoken to anyone about. I think it was great because it felt like I needed to say a lot of the things but it was all also really hard because I know when I was like writing some stuff and obviously you have to go back and read your own work I remember some of the chapters like I would just sit there and cry like literally crying trying to finish the chapter because like it was like every time I read it I was like back in that moment again like feeling all those emotions feeling all those feels and so I think I needed it it was a therapy session and um, I'm happy that it's out there now that people can maybe read, grow, learn from it. But I think all in all, it was an experience that I never, ever thought that I, I would feel or it would happen to me whilst writing the book. You seem to have an experience that a lot of people in Ireland will resonate with, as in the Nigerian community who grew up in Ireland, living with the traditions of you know the Nigerian parents and bringing that into your lifestyle. And then also having this new Irish size kind of trying to bring them in together. Yeah. 
I think I tried to do a lot of that as well in the book. Um, so I, I there was like some Guelga weaved in there, a lot of Irish names, but also a lot of Nigerian names because it was very important that, because obviously you can't write a book and be like, oh, like I'm Irish, here's an Irish chapter. I'm Nigerian, here's like a lovely Nigerian chapter. But I think for me, whilst writing, it was a very important that like the reader could see it in there mm-hmm. instead of it being in your face. It was like I talked talk about going to Catholic school, which a lot of people who were Irish and Nigerian will will resonate with. Um, there was a lot of like um, Shanukles in there. I think there was like one or two Shanukles in there as well, of Irish names, Nigerian names. And I think it was very important for me to weave that in because I was thinking the other day when I was like lying down in my bed and I was like, I actually don't know any black Nigerian authors, not black Irish authors. I was like, I actually don't know any. Um, and it was crazy to me. So I think it was very important that I was able to weave those two aspects into the book when I was writing. Because I imagine, yeah, your mom, your parents must have wanted to keep those traditions alive. And then there's part of you that's like growing up with your friends at school who don't know anything about this kind of side of your life. Yeah, I think especially in Irish school, we're not really thought much about like black culture and even the Nigerian culture in Ireland is really small. Um, and I think what, because it's so small, we're nearly like forced into like assimilation and feel like we then have to forget our own traditions and just be very Irish and accept like a completely new tradition. But like no one ever tells you that it's okay to like be both. Um, and that's what reclaiming is about, like reclaiming all those like small aspects of you that you've lost along the way. There was a really um, powerful line you said that your mom said to you and it kind of stuck out with me. And it was about how she was saying we don't we how, how she worked so hard when she came to Ireland because she didn't want anyone to think that she was taking from the new country. She wanted yeah. to live. And that's why she wanted you and your family and your siblings to like work so hard. And I was just like, that is the case of, you know, so many not just Nigerian, but people who go to any country and feel yeah. guilty nearly in a way and yeah. like, you have to overcompensate. Yeah. You really have to prove yourself that like you deserve to be here and you know you have to work so hard. And I think that's why when you kind of look at the statistics, like a lot of people from like minority backgrounds who move to like European countries, they tend to do so well because they feel like they have so much to prove. And it's like my mom and dad left like Nigeria when I was basically like two, three years old to have like a better life for me, better education. And I felt like I nearly owed it to them to do really, really well. Cause it's like, you kind of feel guilty. You kind of feel like you've sacrificed so much. Here I am. And like, it's like, I have to make that up to you. I have to show you that like all your sacrifices, moving countries, coming here, knowing no one was all worth it. And you feel a bit guilty growing up as a child as well. You never really say it to them because you don't want them getting upset and stuff, but you kind of do feel it. And you feel like, no, I really have to prove myself. So you feel like you have to be extraordinary. You know, you have to to be so much better than everybody else because of it. Has that whittled down now to your younger siblings? Because I'm like you, I'm an uh, an older sister, the eldest of the family. And I find like, the simplest things I had to fight for when I was younger, whether it was going to the teenage disco or, you know, whatever, like going out, like stuff to do exams. I had to fight so hard. And then my youngest sisters, they were just like, yeah, it's grand. Because, you know, yeah. it's past. <laughs> yeah, I hate that so much. For me as well, it was so, obviously I was the first child. So my mom used to say to me, that, like, you know, you're setting the tone for the whole family now. Like, you have to do this, you have to do that. So there was so much pressure on me naturally. And 
kind of paved the way. And now, like, even my sisters, I mean, like, we're all very intellectual in our family because not like we actually had a choice. Um, yeah. We had to kind of stick within the STEM kind of area of life. Um, but, like, they, they have, they're a little less, like, strict with them, I just think that's the new generation of like Gen Z and stuff. But like, it's the same thing. They, I feel they haven't said it to me, but I do feel like they feel they they feel like they have to prove something as well. Like I, um, I'm a scientist. I'm a biologist. My brother is a software engineer. My other sister is a nurse, and the last one is applying for med school this year. And that's the four of us. And um, so, kind of when you kind of look at it, you can kind of see mm. how it's just been ingrained in the family, and that will then carry on to you know the next generation. And it's just the way it's just the way it, it is. Yeah, like and even you say that like well, any thoughts you had of had having any other career like actress or anything? Completely, like, I know. <laughs> you ain't doing that. <laughs> And it's mad because um, jobs like being an actress or being a singer or like jobs that weren't seen as like very academic, Mm. it was, it didn't even, like, I didn't even know I I could do it. Even being a writer, like, I loved English growing up. I absolutely loved English. I used to be obsessed with my English teacher, Miss Butler, obsessed with her. And I just never... I just never thought it was something that I could do. Like I never thought I could go to university and study English or become a journalist or a writer. It was just something that I just thought was like, like it was, it just wasn't in line. And so being able to do it now and also have my science degree, it's just amazing really. Like that's, having a science degree, first of all, you know, is it, the STEM push for women obviously is huge now, but like you've done, you did that years ago. So you kind of were yeah. in, a, in a, a circumstance where there was probably very little women compared to, there's not that many now, but like yeah. I imagine when you did that, that was tiny amount of women. It was, but I, I always find it very s- strange, but I guess a couple of years ago, because I, I would have graduated like nearly six years ago now no one really talked about like women in STEM it wasn't really a thing it was just kind of like you know it was just I just never thought it was like a big deal and I I think in my class so I studied biotechnology as part of my undergrad and there was a lot of women in science I think there's not a lot of women in the other fields of STEM when we look at like um maths technology engineering those those fields have like zero to like (laughs) No women at all. It's very rare to find a woman in engineering. Um, when I was working, I worked in Abbott Diagnostics, Pfizer, and Bristol Myers Squibb. And I think I've come across one engineer in one female engineer in those entire three companies. Obviously, I'm pretty sure things have changed now, but back then, like there was literally one female engineer. I think there's more in science, but there should be more than there is. Um, but I think science is probably the field where you'll find more women um, in STEM. And what was that like as a career? Like, because I suppose, you know, it's so different to what you do now, but like yeah. when you were in it, what was that like? It was scary. I remember when I got my CAO and I found out I was in biotech, I was like, I was happy I got into college. I was like, this is great. Yay, whatever. And then when I went, I was like, Jesus Christ, this is so scary. I think obviously being so young and stuff, and obviously I had to move away from home. And all this responsibility of 
like my education is now in my hand being an adult and mm-hmm. um, being in university and taking control of your own career and stuff and exams and I think it was really really scary and then graduating after four years was like oh my god I finally fucking did it like <laughs> <laughs> here I am but then it took so long to like what well to me I thought it was ages but it was like three months waiting to get their graduate job which felt like a fucking year to me um and I think that moment of just like getting a job and being in a company and just feeling a little bit accepted um I think it was a great moment for me because I wanted it for so long yeah to get to, to the moment that you've been working towards for so long to get there and even have yeah. that little break of or not, not break that weight that you had after graduation you're like is this going to happen for me? And then you get it. It's like, yeah. And then you're like, actually, I don't want this anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, literally three years after I was like, I was like, I I felt like I'd been working for like 10 years. I was like, Jesus, this is tiresome. I was like, I don't know if I can do this anymore, any much longer. I was like, I need a break. Um, And that's when I decided to go into the villa um, and just take a break and just maybe find love, maybe do something else. Just, I think I was just so overwhelmed with trying to be perfect and trying to do this and trying to get this and then be this person and be that. And I think it was just too much. And I just needed, I just needed a way out really quickly. Do you, do you know, did you know at the time or do you remember? I remember when you, they announced that you were going into the villa and it was a case of like, a scientist is going in? Like it was like eyes and they couldn't believe that someone with like a really, what would be perceived as a really, you know, good career yeah. was going in and going into a show like that. Like maybe it missed you because you were already in the villa, but I remember people were like, oh my God, really? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think it kind of happens with like maybe every kind of contestant because I know it happened to Dr. Alex the year before and he was a doctor I guess I know why but at the same time I don't it's like okay I think with the stigma of reality tv everyone thinks I don't need people who are stupid kind of go on but it's like why can't I have a science degree be really intelligent and want to find love and have a great summer like everybody else like why do I have to strip myself of that like I don't know that's fun just because like I I have a science degree and a lot of people forget that like yeah I can go back like Dr Alex has gone back now mm. um, and he works like he he works in, in medicine and he's having a great time and I'll probably go back sometime soon but it's like people are so close-minded and live in this like tight box where they feel like just because you're one thing you can't be something else mm-hmm. and I can be something else I, I would like to think that like my five years of like university and just thrown in the bin and like three years of working in like biofarmers and just like gone in the bin. Like I'd like to think that I'm still a scientist. I'd like to think now that I'm an author as well. Um, and I, I, I just, I want to be everything. I want to enjoy life. I want to like literally grab life by the balls and do everything I can. And I don't want to live in a box. I want to be different. I want to do something great, you know? But I do think it's people like you and Dr. Alex and we see Dami is a scientist who's going in this year that it's people like that that, you know, you go into the show and you show that I'm allowed to have a bit of crack. I'm allowed to be fun, even though I've got a very serious job. I can, and as you say, I can go back. I can go back five years, 10 years, 20 years. I, I have yeah. studied, but I'm in my 20s. It doesn't mean that I have to be set for life. Yeah, exactly. I think a lot of people just need to get out of the box and just like stop thinking that life is so black and white because it's not. Just have a bit of crack, you know? Yeah, like, and, and for you, it must have been just a great way to spend a summer without going this. I have to think of my 
I have to go in and work, you know, in Pfizer. Yeah. You know, I have to go in and think about all these very serious. <laughs> yeah, like it was just, it was just great just knowing that like I was like completely free. Like just my mind was just completely empty. And I went in when I was 23, like that's just so young, you know, just to have, it was just so young. And I just, I'm happy I did it. I have absolutely like zero regrets. Like I think I had a great summer. It's an experience that a lot, a lot of people don't get to have. Um, and I, I got to have it. I met amazing people, made amazing friends and don't regret it. Yeah. And you got to carve a new career out of it. And obviously we, you talk about it a lot in the book about, you know, this new um, influencer career and how to, I suppose, the things that come with that. There's there's a positivity and there's a negativity that comes with the word influencer, I suppose. Yeah. It's so funny because when everyone says influencer, you have to put it in like inverted commas. Like, yeah. Influencer. <laughs> it's mad because you don't want to, you don't want to call yourself one, but you kind of are. But like it has such negative connotations that like you're a bit like scared to like be like, oh, I'm an influencer. But like, that's what it is. Like that is the job. And I think because like over the years, it's like kind of been like diluted down a little bit with like the different types of influencers and stuff. Um, but I think it just kind of depends on like where you see yourself in the market and like what you yourself are doing as an influencer kind of determines you, I suppose. I um, find, I'm guessing you changed some of the na- names in the book because... Oh, I changed all of them. Yeah. <laughs> I was literally like reading it and I was like, oh my God, who is this person? About? Yeah, I know everyone was going to... Yeah, I knew it was going to be a thing where like, people were trying to figure it out and stuff. But yeah, completely changed all the names. The only people who will know are the people reading it. If it's about you and you're reading it, you'll know. But other than that, you haven't fucking got a clue. Well, I actually was like, when I was reading some of the stuff you about, said about being an influencer, I was like, I actually like mentally clapped a little bit for you because you were being honest about the kind of fake shit that does go on in the industry in the background. And like, I know that because I work in media, I see the, the fakeness sometimes. Like, not everyone's fake, obviously, yeah. but like there are fake friendships and there's online friendships and stuff like that. And when you were talking about some of the things that people were saying to you and the, like the fake boyfriends and stuff, I was like, how yeah. that shit? <laughs> I remember that I remember even having that conversation like I'll never forget it I was absolutely gobsmacked I was like oh my god this is actually a thing because I think being so new to it back in like 2019 and obviously like I I felt like I was having like BTS like behind the scenes like real life footage of what was going on because it was just so new to me so when I found out that this is what people were doing I was like what like is this actually real life like I couldn't believe it yeah, but yeah, that's what the industry is like. And have you? I suppose now, the couple of years on from it, are you are you a bit more cagey when you kind of meet pe- new people in the industry? Kind of going, like, are, is what you're telling me true? Or yeah, I think now I have a more like filtered version. I can kind of filter myself a little bit. So when I meet people, I can give them the me that is an influencer, the me that you don't kind of you can't get past, like that brick wall of trying to get to know me as a person. I'm not open. I'll tell you the superficial information that is online that everyone knows and will not open up at all. Um, and then when I meet other people who are in, in like, you know, the influencer world, they got, they kind of get to see me, me as a person and like the truest form of myself. But I think being in this industry, you kind of just have to, you can't show yourself to everyone else. You kind of have to filter yourself off and decide what you want to show people, what you want to tell people, because you can't really trust anyone. And it, it did take me a while to figure it out because you kind of come out, 
you're thrown into this new limelight. You're you're so excited. You're meeting all these amazing people that you either followed or looked up to like before you were thrown into this world. And you just got to be careful. Um. So yeah, I think that's what happens now. I just kind of filter my filter myself depending on who I'm talking to. That's kind of hard as well because you could be meeting someone six times, but you don't really ever really probably trust them. You Never. know, meet them loads yeah. of times and hang out with them. And as you said, that has happened on occasions like where you've been all people have been in their phone and going to things together and you're like, I actually don't really know this person that much at all. Yeah. 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 So your school friends and family must mean a lot to you in that sense then. Yeah, I think I didn't know how much they meant until I came out because you kind of take it for granted. Like, you know, you're like, oh, those are my friends and whatever. And you don't really think much about it. But then you go into this new world where like your old friends are like everything. Like they're the only people that you can actually talk to and feel like you're not being judged or you're not going to get like some weird article written about you the next day or like people are going people aren't going to be gossiping about you so like other influencers and like yeah it's just it's just nice chilled vibes from, from what I got from the book um, your experience I suppose seemed to be a bit different than some of the other contestants when they came out of the villa with you know brands and stuff like that it seemed to be yeah. a bit harder for you yeah and it's mad because I never maybe I was like really naive I just or maybe you just don't really think about the after. Like when you go on a show like that, you don't necessarily think of the after. You just want to get in there and like yeah. have like the time of your life. You don't really think about like, you know, the whole coming out, getting new management, like sorting out your life, like brand deals and stuff. So it was a really big shock to the system when I came out and seen how my journey was so different. And I felt like I had to jump over hurdles and like, it was just... Like it was so hard and I felt like I couldn't share it with any of the other contestants because I felt like I, no, I didn't feel, I was definitely the only one going through it. And it was, I just, it was just little things like even finding management, which I kind of wrote about in my book as well, where I just couldn't get anyone. Like I was, I ran every single, because when you come out, you get a big long sheet of all the management that ITV have scouted and think are probably the best thing to go with. I remember I sat down in my hotel room, like every single one of them. And it was like, they were so excited. Like, oh my God, yeah, you want to do love that. And then literally they would call me back not even five minutes later. And it's like, oh no, like we can't do that. Or, and I just didn't know what I was doing wrong. And like people who had like lower engagements following were like being signed. And like, I was just so baffled and so confused. Um, and I was I was going through so much and I reached out to um, a TV presenter in the UK who was like also black as well and she's Nigerian and she gave me the most fantastic advice and I'll be forever grateful for that and yeah and that's how it went. It's so like annoying to think like that because I suppose the naivety of me is that you go into a show like this it's so huge that everybody is just like given this package of you know agent manager whatever it is yeah brand here's a boohoo deal or whatever like that yeah and to think that it must have been really hard for you at that time to be like watching other people getting them and you're like this is this a fucking joke like what I stayed in longer or in the villa or I have more followers or whatever and yet you know it was clearly a racist thing that people weren't they weren't weren't giving you the opportunity yeah I think 
another factor is a lot of brands have like their ideal candidate, you know, when it's usually like the skinny blonde, blue eyes and those are the people who normally sign the deals. If you look at like the likes of like Boohoo or PLT or who they've had previously, like they kind of go for one specific set. Um, so because of that, as like a brand manager or as an agent, you want to go with someone like that because you know they're going to put you in the money. You know they're going to get signed by all these brands. And, and then, yeah, I guess they don't really think about how the other person, i.e. me, at the end of the call feels or because they don't really care. It's all about the money in the industry. Like, no one has a shite. God, so you, like, fuck, you must... Oh, Jesus, I'm just... I was so mad for you because I just <laughs> reading it. I was like, what the fuck? Like, this is stupid. Like, everybody... I get that maybe whoever wins the show, you know, is on a different... Yeah, no, I get that. Absolutely. You know, that's fine. You know, or if someone's the most controversial, whatever. But then there are the people that basically um, keeps the show going they're in it for five six weeks everyone's talking about them they want to know what they did afterwards and it's just like what, what's what's wrong like why are you not mm-hmm. helping me out here I'm glad to see though you did find someone and someone that you actually seem to really trust that must make a, a massive difference that you can actually speak openly as well with because he, I suppose if it takes you that long to find someone you really want it to be someone worthwhile then yeah definitely and I think that was that was one of the things that I just didn't want to go with anyone for the sake of, oh, I can't get someone to go with. It was so very important for me that, like, the person that I went with, like, got me, got the vision, could see me growing, could really help me to grow as a person, as an influencer, as a content creator, um, and could see more for me than just, like, Love Island. Um, and I think it did take a couple, it did take a while. I think I didn't sign with anyone until, like, late August, and that's very, that's very late because I didn't, yeah, that's very late because it took me about a solid six weeks. Usually you're signed within the first week, like a couple of days after, gone. But yeah, it did take me a couple of weeks. And how much did, how, how much did taking a manager on board, like for people who don't really get the industry, how much yeah. of a difference does it have to have someone there who is your manager or your agent, whatever it is, in comparison yeah. to you dealing with it all on your own? I think at the time I came out, dealing with it on my own was just not even an option because you have so much emails coming in, especially for me who have who has no like experience with dealing with brand deals, how much to charge, like haven't got a clue. So dealing with it on my own was just something that like I knew I was never going to be able to do because you have to go to events, you have to meet brands, but then at the same time you have to answer emails, sort out deals. Like you're only one person and. You can't do it. I had no experience in it. I knew I didn't want to do it. So it was very important to get a manager because your manager not only does the emails, goes out and reaches out to like the brands, but she can also advise you on how to deal with your platform, what way to go in, you know, what the next three to five years is going to look like and how to how to get that and like actually sit down and create long-term goals for you and your brand and stuff like that. And that's the benefit of having a manager rather than you just doing it on your own because you're only one person. Like, do emails all day is hard work. And then, like, you, you miss a lot of things because you're at home doing emails all the time. And you should be spending that time going out, building relationships with brands and agents and other agents and things like that. So I think for me, when I came out, I could absolutely not do it on my own. I missed so many things because of it for the first three weeks because I just couldn't do it. 
Yeah, and you also have to be creating content and creating looks and constantly updating your social media because people want to know when you come out of a show like that, what you're up to, who you're with, what yeah. you do, where are you going? Are you hanging out with such and such from the show? Blah, blah, blah. Everyone has spent the months invested in your life and then they're not used to not knowing everything you're doing <laughs> for that whole day. Yeah. <laughs> literally, literally, you're on social all the time. That's literally, your job is literally pick up your phone, update people every like couple of minutes what you're doing, what your plans are, because people want to know. And those kind of couple months or couple weeks are so crucial in building like a close-knit community um, and great engagement as well. And obviously, you're, you know, it's still part of your career. You're having to be on your phone a lot, having to create stuff. But you do talk about in the book your mental health and obviously the, the issues you'd had before, you know, when you were in your early like late teens, early twenties, um, how much do you, do you do take time away from your phone? Like how much do you have to invest in it? How much do you have to invest in your mental health now that, yeah, you know, this is part of your career being on your phone? Yeah, I think it's, you should be taking more. I should be taking time off my phone, but in actual reality, it's like, you can't, like you literally can't. Like I do try and take days off, but like mentally, I'm thinking about it all the time. Like, and even because like, even if you're say, say you go to work and you have a nine to five and you take a day off, right? You're going to be on your phone because like, that's what you do, right? So now my job is to be on my phone. So even if I'm taking time off, I still have to pick up my phone. Like, I still have to see what people are doing because like, I'm so used to it. Um, and I feel like if I'm not posting a picture or I'm not posting a story, I'm not posting something, I feel like my engagement is going down and now with Instagrams, new algorithm and all, like, it's just shit. Like, you feel like you constantly, and it sounds so silly, you know, I'm sitting here having, like, I'm sitting here being sad because I'm not posting a picture, I'm not posting a story. And there's people with real life problems, like, it sounds so silly, even sitting down having a conversation about oh my god what's on instagram but it just becomes your life and you become you find yourself you know addicted you feel guilty for not working even though it doesn't feel like work and i've tried to you know take time off and it just doesn't work but i think i'm a little bit better now like I haven't even posted on my instagram in like two three days i feel so relaxed like i just feel like the weight has been like lifted off my shoulders. Um, but I think, yeah, taking time off is really important and your mental health, like you really have to invest in your mental health. And I think when you come out of a show like that, they literally give you a therapist and they're like, here's a therapist for 18 months and go to these meetings every week. But I think you can go, but if you're not ready to like sit down and be vulnerable and to actually be open, it's a waste of time. Mm-hmm. And for me, I tried to do it for like a couple of weeks. And because I just wasn't ready to speak about anything, it was a complete waste of time. So I stopped it. But then I went back when I actually started writing my book because I was like, shit, I'm actually really fucked up. <laughs> and I was like, I actually think I need help. So um, yeah, I went back during writing my book for a couple of weeks. Um, but I think it's great like going in and out and stuff just reflecting and taking on board, on, on board what you've learned and then utilizing that in your life. And um, so I'm like in and out constantly. Really. I think a lot of people um, assume with reality stars because they watch them on shows and they seem like they're having the crack, let's say the likes of the and or, you know, big brother, you see them and everything is fun and, you know, flirty and stuff like that. And then when they talk about mental health, it's like people go, 
how would you have mental health? And I, I think you say this in the book, like how, what's yeah. wrong with you? You know, you've got loads of followers, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, first of all, anyone can have mental health problems, but you know, you talk about them that happened before you even became famous and stuff like that. And I think a lot of people will be shocked kind of when they read, you know, some of the journeys that you've gone through and you still have to be, just because you've got a million followers doesn't mean you, like you're probably getting more hate when you have a million followers than when you have five followers. So you have to be very careful with what you're consuming and what you're seeing. Yeah. I think for my mental health chapter, it's really important that I could go back as far back as when it happened. Um, because it was, it would have been easy for me to be like, Oh my God, went in the villa. A lot of people trolled me. And then now I have mental health problems. And it's like, yeah, that could happen. But it's like, no, like my issue started when I was like 16. Like it's been something that I've always been dealing with. And with mental health, it's not something that you can just fix and put a plaster on it and just like walk away and it's fixed. It's something that you constantly kind of have to work on and improve on. And even now, um, I'm constantly learning, constantly improving. Um, so yeah, it's it's a journey that carries on forever. Because even when I was writing my mental health chapter, it was very important for me to let people know that there is no quick fix. Like there's no putting a plaster on it. It's something that like, this is just it. This is what happened when I was this young. This is where I am now. I'm constantly learning. And there is there's no quick fix. It's all about managing it the best way you can. And did you, um, when you were writing it or when you had it written, did you show it to your family? Did you tell them what you were writing about? Because I know like in your mom in that situation, when I was reading what your mom had said to you after you'd been to the doctor at that time, I was like, that is yeah. such an Irish mommy. I know she's not, <laughs> but she's also an Irish mommy. It was such an Irish mom reaction. So what would you, why would you not be, why would you be depressed? What's wrong with you? You've got loads going on. And you're like, <laughs> and then you go, why am I? Well, I can't be. And you know, you start second guess yourself. And I'm like, that is yeah. such a mommy reaction sometimes, you know, to go, yeah. what would be wrong with you? Yeah, yeah. It was really hard writing that chapter. Um, I remember my editor, when she read the first draft, was like, okay, shit, do you... Are you sure you want to publish this? Because I think as like a new author, it's hard, especially when you're writing nonfiction to decide what goes into the book, what doesn't go into the book. But then also when you know you have a following and then you know that there's tabloids and press, it's more of like, okay, what do I want to go into this book that that I feel comfortable with being front page of a magazine or press or tabloids like or blogs, like, what do I feel comfortable with? But I remember saying to her, I was like, at the end of the day, this is like a nonfiction book. Like, I've told myself I'm going to be as honest as possible. And I don't think it's fair for people who have bought the book not to get an honest version of me as a writer. Um, so I actually haven't, she, I remember Joelle, my editor, was like, no, you're going to have to speak to your mom and your friends about this before publication day. And I was like, yeah, yeah, grand, I will, I will, I will. And I haven't. <laughs> I absolutely haven't. I think it's because I just don't know how to have a conversation with them. Mm-hmm. Like, I just don't know. Like, I'm deciding, will I just wait until they read the book? Because then they get like the truest, rawest version of exactly what was in my head at that point in time because I feel like even if I had a conversation now about it to them I'd just be sugarcoating everything like it it wouldn't be like this is what I said and this is how I felt it's like I did write a chapter about mental health I talked about the issues that I absolutely struggled with that like I've literally shared with no one here you go yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> you're kind of mentioned in it, ma'am. Oh, 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I think I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like a part of me is like, just wait until the book comes out and, and she'll just read it. But I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Just send a copy in the post and then turn off your phone for four days. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> yeah, probably going to do that. <laughs> Like for people who, because who, obviously they won't get who, when you get the book, they'll understand. But it's not written in, I suppose, in the autobiography sense of in, you know, you open up when I was, and it starts like when you were zero, and then it's like, and then I went to school, and then like it's it, written in essay form, I suppose, and each chapter is a theme, and yeah. that's why so when people are listening, they're like, how do you know so much about our life, and you know. <laughs> I don't know so much. Um, but did you like? I suppose the, so. The themes like cover. We've got like mental health, as we mentioned. We've got friendships, which I thought was a really interesting chapter because really, why? It's mad because I when I wrote that friendship chapter, I thought I was I thought I was opening it. And I remember my editor sent me back an email, and she was like, mm, "I think you could do a little bit more." And I was like, "I don't know what more I could give." So obviously, it's mad because I this is the first time I'm speaking to someone who's actually finished the book, like finished the book. But I would love to know why you thought it was an interesting chapter. Because I feel, and I think you mentioned in one line, I feel like we talk and um, dissect so much about romantic relationships, and we don't do it enough with our own friendships and I do think there's a case of hanging on to friendships past their sell by date and I know someone said to you and you mentioned it like how they're there for a time and you know you can you know I, I, I think of people that are in my life now that you're kind of like feel like you have to include them in stuff whereas you maybe wouldn't yeah. if you only met them now you know that kind of way and you look yeah. you put up with certain things that you're just like because we're friends so long I should write fine you know like yeah. I, just, I won't fight you on this and I think it's very hard to be honest about friendships sometimes because they're yeah. still in your life or they're friends with your friend, even if you are not that friend. And you kind of went, right, there's my you know social media friends who maybe are not so good at being friends. And then there's friends who ditched me for boyfriends and, you know, the friend like, and you put them out there and these people will know what's about them, even though their names are not. it. And it's kind of like, okay, they're going to have to know how that that these decisions they made affected you where you might have never verbally said it to them yeah yeah definitely and I think what was really hard in that friendship chapter was even though I was trying to be like okay this is where things went wrong in our friendship it was also very important for me to hold myself accountable and be like no this is what I've done in the friendship for it to go this way and and just like learning, because I think a lot of things like, you know, when you fight with your friend or you fall out, very quick to point the finger and be like, you did this. That's why we're not friends. And that's why we're not speaking. But like, really, do you ever just sit down, take a minute and be like, well, what could I have done wrong that would have caused this friendship to break down? Or did I do this wrong? Or where is like the learning aspect in this, you know? And um, I think that's why it was very hard for me to to write because you really need to sit down and like look inwards Um, and sometimes as a writer like when you're not like healed on the situation it's very hard to do yeah and I think like as you said uh, like the dating aspect thing so if you broke up with a guy now and you know six months down the line I was talking to you about it you'd be like well look I learned a lot from being with him I learned that I'm better to do this I won't put up with this anymore blah 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 you don't do that with a friendship and you kind of hang on much longer than you would if it was a romantic relationship, if, if some of the stuff happened in a romantic relationship that happened in a friendship, you would be like, get, be gone. And, you know, yeah. kind of like, I really can't put up with that bullshit, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then it's your friend, you're like, or like someone who's, you know, maybe was a brilliant friend at a stage in your life and no longer really is. And you're kind of, 
but we had this time together. And so like you don't look in as well. You don't see what, well, what am I, what's different about me? It's you just assume, Oh, she's changed. Not I've also changed. Exactly. I think I definitely struggled with that chapter. It's definitely one of my hard ones to write. I don't know why, but it was. Because when I was looking at the, you know, the start and all the different topics you cover, I didn't think friendships was going to be. Uh, I kind of was like, oh, you know, all right. Yeah. Like, all right. She's just going to talk about, you know, friends and, you know, kind of maybe an impositive thing. And then because I definitely thought the, the racism, and the colorism was probably going to be harder for you to talk about. And obviously being a white woman, I don't like I wouldn't have an experience with colorism or racism. And I actually I suppose I didn't really know colorism existed. Not that I didn't know it existed, yeah. but the extent to why it exists. Yeah. yeah. That to me was that was like an eye opening experience to hear how unintentionally or intentionally people favor people with lighter skin. I would didn't know that that was such a big thing. Yeah, I think the colorism chapter was a hard chapter to write for a different reason. I think I had so much to say, but I think I was like angry. So I think when when I was writing every chapter, I used to sit down, I draw a little spider diagram and I'd say to myself, OK, how do I feel about this chapter? How do I want my reader to feel about this chapter? What do I want? What do I want them to take away from this chapter? What the learning outcomes? I had all these questions for myself. But when I sat down, even though I had a structure for my colorism chapter and I knew exactly the points I wanted to make, I sat down and actually wrote it. I, it was just loads of like anger. Like there was no structure to it. It was just like, you did this and I felt like this and it was this and I'm angry. And it was just like anger, anger coming out. And yeah, I suppose you said as a white woman, you probably, have, not probably, you would have never experienced colorism and probably wouldn't know what colorism was. Um, and even a lot of people who are of color and are black still deny the existence of colorism in our society. And it's a very important chapter for me to write as a dark-skinned black woman to really highlight the struggles of being a dark-skinned black woman in a society like this and, you know, just bring light to it in a way that wasn't really angry, in a way that I could educate people um, and in a way that was still soft. At yeah. the same time, and I think that's why it was hard, but in a different type of way. Also, it, it's, uh, you know, writing about friendships and about mental health, they're your own personal journeys, you know, all of the whole situation. Whereas with the colorism, yes, you're telling your story, but you kind of probably felt a responsibility of every other black woman you knew who probably yeah. experienced or who spoke to you about it and you're, or you've seen in action. So you're kind of, yes, it's my experience, but also I'm getting a voice for other people. I better do this right yeah, I think definitely as well. There's a lot of pressure there because you have so much to say, but you want to make sure it's said the right way. You want to make sure that it's written beautifully um, as a writer. You want to make sure that the points are strong and that they do what they're supposed to do. They have that impact. They're, they're powerful. And yeah, you, you want to do it justice. You want to do it right. And it was hard because you have to kind of live your own trauma and you have to to write it in a way that that isn't angry yeah um because if it's angry people will just go oh, 
you know, oh, here we go again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's so annoying because like when you're writing stuff and you are angry, like you are telling a good point, but it's just that people don't see past the anger. So you're kind of, and I know you backed it up so well. You have like, you can tell that, you know, you'd been to college and had recently done TV. <laughs> but here's my reference point. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh, Jesus. The reference that I was like, here we fucking go again. Oh, God. <laughs> college, why am I doing this again? Yeah, exactly. Oh, it was worse. I was saying to a friend, I was like, I'm not even sure what was worse. Either this or like write a thesis. But this is definitely worse. This is definitely right. Well, a thesis is like a small panel of people judging you. This is, you know, everyone you've ever met is like, oh, did you see? You want a rope? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And they're like, you can't me when you're done, will you? You (laughs) I mentioned. (laughs) Goodness. Like, I imagine there's some people in your past, uh, you know, they're like, oh, no. Um, (laughs) All the ex-boyfriends are like, yeah, do you know what? The funny thing was the dating chapter. I was like, I wonder if anyone who I've ever dated will buy it just to read what I've had to say in the dating chapter yeah. to find out if they're in it. <laughs> oh my God, they definitely are going to. You can so see someone being like, right, we went out for five. You better. <laughs> but if she did, it better be. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fucking I think God. I'd be yeah. like, if it was me and I dated someone and they wrote a book, in one way, I wouldn't want them to mention me, but another way, I'd be like, why the fuck? Did yeah, why didn't you mention was that not good enough to mention? Am I so boring? I would, in life listen, I would be at Easton's at nine o'clock in the morning queuing to get that. <laughs> exactly. Just like <laughs> skipping straight to the chapter, the year that we did. You're like, exactly. <laughs> and it's so funny because I still follow them on, some of them on Instagram, and I'm like, I wonder if you're actually going to read it because I know some of them have girlfriends now. And I'm like, I wonder if you're going to read it. And I wonder, like, what you're going to have to say. I wonder, will you mess me when you read this section mm. about you? Like, oh, the yeah. guy that you talked about that did the cheating, I'd say he's definitely buying a guy. What you're saying about him. Oh, <laughs> uh, God. Yeah. What a oh, throwback. You mentioned Rhea. <laughs> Tell me everything about Rhea. I'm so. Oh, my God. It. What is Rhea like? I need to know. It is terrible. <laughs> I've no idea if anyone actually finds up in this app. Like, I tell you now, everyone's on that app. Like, everyone you don't think, I'll give you two names. Go. I thought they're probably going to buy me off this app. I'll give you two names Lewis Hamilton. Oh. And what other name will I drop? Someone who I know will never message me. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. Um, oh, Jesus, because a lot of them from the UK, so maybe I shouldn't. There's just a lot of like, A-list like musicians and football players, like Chelsea Arts football players on the app. Everyone's on the app, but like it's just so funny because it's like, wow, we're all really single. Like, how? Like, this is this is crazy. Because how are we all single? (laughs) (laughs) But no. It has to be better than Tinder anyway, that's for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. Because the thing about Raya is that it filters down for you. So you don't get like the weirdos because you have to be a person. The way it works is you have to know someone to get on the app, right? So say I got my friend to refer me, right? And it's really weird. You reply and then you get an email being like your request has been confirmed then Raya, the Instagram um, page, is like, it's like a robot. It literally sends you a message with like a number and then you have to put that number into no you get the number on Raya you put it into the Instagram 
um, DM, and then you get approved. What? I know. It's crazy, isn't it? And then, yeah, and then there's just, like, really hot people. And then you're like, okay, who is hot and single? Let's just- yeah, like, you meet a lot of, like, really people. Like, it's mad, because, like, I would never have thought that you were here. Yeah. here you are. And I imagine yeah. there's lots of reality stars on it. Oh, everyone's on it. All of them. Everyone who's single and some in a relationship are on that app. Yeah, it's crazy. Because you can't screenshot on the app either. Oh, right. So you can't even say, look, send to your friends, look who I spotted. No, you can't. You can't. You get like a strike. And I think once you get three strikes, right? Oh my god! <laughs> At least you're not getting dick pics then. In that case, because no face exactly. Is send them to you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and everyone who probably would send one, if you did screenshot it, did be on Daily Mail. So it's like, would you really? Would you really <laughs> want that? So it's up to you. <laughs> like I assume, like I just know I'm so naive sometimes. I'm just like I would assume when you're famous, it's much easier to date. Yeah, I thought so too. I thought I'd be getting DMs rolling in from everyone telling me they wanted to take me out, but it's just not the case. <laughs> what? It's not the case. It's not so fair. It's not 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 I, I, I'm blown away by that because I'm guessing you meet a lot more people, a lot nicer people. Well, not nicer, you know, different types of people, I suppose, in your job. Yeah. But yeah. no one's like, come on, let's go. No, I think the industry is actually so small that like everyone's been with everyone. And it's just like, it's kind of like being in secondary school when everyone's with everyone and you just know everyone's yeah. business. That's exactly what it's like. Oh, yeah. It's like, well, she was with him and said he did. Yeah. <laughs> He was with her while he was with her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it's like. Once they see how nice you are to the exes in the dating section, maybe you'll get a few more. They knew the book was coming out. They're like, I'm not dating her till that book comes out. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. Yeah. Do you find your fans are like nearly trying to like hint at you by people that to set you up with like, oh, do you see his single now? And Yeah, definitely. But it just never works because... Yeah, because it's like, I don't know, because even even if loads of people were like messaging me or tweeting or whatever, saying like, oh, you should go with him or you should be with him. It's like, well, it's great that you think that, but like, is he going to message me? Probably not. So here we are, you know? Um, (laughs) So it just doesn't work. I wish it did, but it just doesn't work that way. Here's me thinking, I'll just get really famous enough to go on Ray and then I'll be fine. Love life will be just boom. Yeah, <laughs> no, I wish. I fucking wish. Oh my god! So, like, the book obviously um, is coming out in the next few weeks. It's very exciting. Um, how are you feeling about it coming out? I think before I was so excited because I think when you're when you're writing, you don't like even though you know you're writing this book for people to read, you don't really actually think about people reading the book. Hmm. Um, but now it's becoming more real that like you know people are actually going to be reading this book, and it's kind of scary because people, if people read the book, that means people are going to critique the book, and then I have to deal with those critiques. Mm-hmm. And I think as a writer, after spending like eight months like working so hard on getting this like finished model because imagine someone comes out and like oh I was absolutely shit oh die I would die <laughs> I don't think I'd be able to handle that um but I don't know I'm excited to see what people think about it but I'm also terrified 
Yeah. And like, is there a particular chapter that you're you're kind of like, this is the one I really, I don't know if I should put it in or I'm kind of worried about? I think mental health is probably the most, the chapter I'm really, really worried about. I think friendship as well, because it's kind of the same with mental health where there were some friendships that, some scenarios that I haven't spoken Mm. to the people in the book about. So if they read it, I mean, there it is. I'm at mental health. I was just so open that like some of the things in that chapter, like my family, my close friends don't know. So I think those two chapters are probably the scariest chapters that I'm like, oof, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> well, you'll know, you see, this is one way of telling who are your friends actually reads it. Because if they text you going, come here, you talked about me on page 207 or whatever, you'd be like, so they bought the book and they've read it. That's a good sign. <laughs> exactly. At least it's important to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I suppose we'll, We'll see. We will see. Um, it was. Um, I thought it was very interesting that you started off with the chapter about your name and yeah. how important that is. Because originally, when I started it, I was like, I was like, I, a name. I kind of was like the same. I was like, a name. Sure, it's just what your you know <laughs> what your name is. And I feel like now since I've read it, I'm really reading into people's names. <laughs> I'm like, oh, why are you called that? Oh, sure. <laughs> You know, I was watching a documentary last night and the mom and dad had both called two of their kids after like the mom was called Anne, so was the daughter, and the dad was called John or whatever, and so was the son. I was yeah. like, well then I spent so much time thinking about that. Because I was never <laughs> invested in names now. God damn it, you one day. I'm just <laughs> I mean, it's a good thing because no one really thinks about it at all, really. You know, like sometimes like you're called John and it's because like that's what your grandpa was called or your uncle or your great uncle and no one really like reads into it um but I think as a Nigerian woman names are so important and it's never like talked about how important they are and I feel like now that like we're getting older and we're like you know being raised in European countries and we see like forced assimilation that we're losing a little bit of that culture and the beauty in, in names and how powerful it is, especially in my tradition, that I thought it was very important to highlight how important it was for me growing up, for the next generation. And I thought it would be a great learning topic for people who had the clue. Yeah, because I think that when you're um, in your teenage years, it's very easy. You just want to fit in with everybody else. And, yeah. you know, you're nearly just like, oh, whatever, you know, you say and people want to call you by your middle name and stuff just because it's easier for them. Like that, I rolled my eyes so much of that because I was like, what's wrong? With you? <laughs> Jesus Christ, I wouldn't want anyone to call me by my middle name. So like, <laughs> I know myself, I get annoyed if people call me Nicole, you know, and that's yeah. the simplest thing. And it's very easy for me to correct them. But I also, mm-hmm. I'm not getting that every single time someone says my name. So I imagine that, you know, when you're in your teenage years, you're just kind of like, okay, I won't say anything because I want to fit in. But then accepting your culture and accepting your, you know, where it comes from as you grow older and especially in your 20s, as you know, now there's definitely a big movement on your on everyone's culture, accepting it, embracing it, empowering, you know, so to you're now you're like, listen, this is my name. Deal with it. Yeah, definitely. Even the airport, I was, or as I was going to Ibiza, like two weeks ago and I gave the woman my passport and I've no idea why she even felt the need to even say my name and she was like here you go Elizabeth and I was like looking at her like <laughs> you could have just said nothing yeah <laughs> you know, it had to be my fucking 
to ask for it, but now you've made this a fucking thing. And like in my head for a second, because obviously no one fucking calls me Elizabeth. Like that's um, it's just my middle name fucking calls me that. And I for a second I didn't even know who it was. I was like Elizabeth, and I was like, oh shit, like that's my name. But I was like. You could see that that was my middle name because in the passport it's like your first name and then it literally says middle name and then it literally says S for surname and it's like why would you, do you know what I mean like why would you even do that but like it's just the little things. But it's also a thing that like you know let's say someone said meets you and they you know they say your name wrong and you know they could go it's just so simple to go I'm so sorry and you know let's say you correct them you're like it's Juan Day they're like okay and they're like take that on board remember it you know just keep yeah. because yeah. You know, there's a member I was interviewing a woman um, from Fair City and her surname was really hard to pronounce. And I literally mm-hmm. broke it down into syllables and just kept it repeating it. And I had it written in front of me before I interviewed her in case I got it wrong. Because I was like, I would hate if somebody disrespected me interviewing yeah. me, getting it wrong. So like, there's no harm. As you say, there's no harm in getting it wrong if you yeah. correct yourself or if you go, oh, sorry, will you ex- tell me how it sounds? Like, yeah. And people, as I said, people might be like me at the start going, why is she had a chapter on name? But like, if you got, someone got your name wrong every single time they talk to you. <laughs> no, yeah. yeah. And it's not even about getting, I think for me, it's not even about getting it wrong. Cause like, it's fine. Like I don't expect you to look at my name for the first time and, and get it right. If you do, great. But if you don't, it's fine. Like just, if I correct you, just please take it on board. Yeah. And it's more about like deliberately saying my name wrong. Cause a lot of people will deliberately say your name wrong as like power play to literally get one over on you. Like people, people are just so cruel. And I think when I wrote my chapter on racialized renaming and naming, it was also important for me to touch on the transgender community as well mm-hmm. and talk about dead naming as a, as a form of power play and stuff. Um, where I sat down with my manager and I had that conversation with her and I wrote about it as well. Cause I think when we think of like names and racialized renamings and naming, naming in general, you don't really ever think about dead naming for me anyways, I can only speak for myself. I, I never did. Um, but I think it was important for me to include that in that chapter as well. I do think it gave it a bit of a perspective as well that you kind of go, Oh shit. Yeah. Like if I, I wouldn't think about calling some. I wouldn't think about dead naming somebody, but it does yeah. make you think then how powerful a name can be when you actually look at it like that. You're thinking, yeah. I called that person by the name that, that they don't want to be called anymore, which associates so many memories for them. Yeah, I would yeah. be really disrespectful. So why would you do it to somebody else in that circumstance? Yeah. It's it's a, definitely you are going to open up a lot of minds, I'd say. And a lot of people are going to be I know you've had the, you know, had a couple of articles out before and you've obviously spoken very passionately about in, you know, um the Black Lives Matter and stuff like that. But I do think you've talked about so many topics in this book. People there's a few people that are gonna go, Oh my god, she can actually really write. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so, Jesus Christ. <laughs> And then you're going to go, get home, you're dead. (laughs) No, I think it's great to have someone who isn't afraid to call out some bullshit. And I do think there's a few times that, like, definitely in the influencer thing, I was like, oh, thanks to God, someone said something here. Jesus, thank you. Like, there are people out there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it was. I think, yeah, I got to think that I was really open in the book and in all my chapters and I think I gave it all I could in every chapter so I hope that people see that and they feel that when they read the book and they at least take something from it 
Yeah. And before I let you go, what is next then? So the book is coming out. What is the plan for you then? Book is coming out 14th of July. I think I'm going to see myself doing a little bit more presenting and hopefully a few documentaries. We'll see how it goes. Um, That's the plan for this year and next year. And whether I'd write a book again, I don't fucking know. (laughs) No fucking idea. It depends on how well this book does. And I think I was just, it was such a stressful moment. Like I was in the shower the other day and I was looking at my like Snapchat highlights of like the past year. And obviously writing was a big, it was a big part of it. And I remember it was just such a stressful moment because a lot of people don't know that most authors, especially new authors, when they write their books the first time, normally give themselves two years. I actually only had eight months um, and that was extended eight months. I should have only had six to write the book while working a full-time job. (laughs) Um, So it was so stressful. I think if I did write again, I would absolutely give myself two years to complete the book. But I don't know. It depends on the reception of this one. So please do pre-order and maybe I'll write another one. (laughs) Well, I definitely can see you doing presenting. You've got like passions for things and especially, you know, around race. You definitely can feel, you know, that you put a lot into that. And you kind of knew that from your, you know, your essays you did for for, um, online anyway. But like you can definitely feel like there is some stuff there you want to talk about. But it could also be like, you know, your mental health or eating disorder journey. There was definitely... There's definitely things I can see you doing there now to to yeah. kind of highlight, to bring to the forefront. Yeah, hopefully. Fingers crossed. <laughs> I can't wait, wait to read your eighth book. <laughs> oh my eighth, not my fucking eighth. I'm so crazy. I'm still so stunned that you actually read the whole entire book. No, it's so I- crazy speaking to someone who's read the book because it's like, oh my God, someone's actually read this. And uh, and because uh, I can quote things back and you're like, oh my God. Yeah, it's like, oh my God. And like, obviously I don't want to go too into like the things that you've quoted because obviously I know there's going to be a lot of people who are listening that haven't actually read the book so I don't want to be like, oh my God, I said this and this and spoil the whole thing because I wasn't yeah. point. But it's still crazy. Like, And each chapter has lots of different things to it so like I know I'm talking about like you know the influencer side of the social media chapter but there's loads in that that I you know you can't don't even have time for it to talk about there's loads in the friendship stuff definitely loads in mental health so I think yeah there's lots of people are going to read so they'll have to go and buy it and pre-order and the whole lot yes please do what was your favorite chapter in the whole entire book let me think and um, why Oh God, um, let me see. I wish I had it. It's downstairs now. I wish I'd brought it up when I was flicked through it. Um, <laughs> I did really like the friendship one. Um, I What else did I like? The I liked your letter. To, um, I won't give too much away, but I like your letters that you've done in some of the chapters. Oh, thank you. I, really, I thought that was good. Um, I thought like, you know, writing to guys, writing to yourself. And, you know, I thought that was kind of like, we do hear that a lot in therapy, you know, that you yeah. do that it's a really good thing actually as well you including some of your therapist side of stuff like uh, going through therapy going back and forth that was really good as well because people talk about therapy but they don't really they go oh, what their therapist says <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean <laughs> <laughs> and they go oh yeah you know I went to therapy full stop but like to hear you and kind of the way you did it as well was kind of like you know 2021 20, 20 going back and forth and stuff and kind of seeing the difference with your mental strength and stuff like that as well but yeah 
I think probably the one that taught me a lot was probably the colorism chapter. I think that taught me the most. Yeah. Okay. No, I thought. I, I think that. And honestly, what would you what would you review the book? Honestly, I think I put five. five. But I'm not sure if I did. Sure. Yeah. Are you saying that because I'm here in front of you asking? I think for me, reading a book, I don't read nonfiction very often because I would be I like you know I spend a lot of time watching murder documentaries, so I basically read <laughs> murder books. <laughs> So my usual, my, if you look at my Goodreads, it's like murder, 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 murder. Yeah. I think when I read nonfiction, I want to learn something. So I want mm-hmm. to be able to walk away and go, right, I've taught something there. And I definitely like felt, look, there were so many things I didn't know about you from yeah. the book. You know what I mean? And I don't want to give too much away and stuff like that. But like, you know, your fa- some of your family dynamics, you know, obviously the mental health. I had no idea you'd gone through that mental health journey absolutely no idea so like and as you said some of your own friends and stuff didn't even know that so I think when I got to that part I remember being like I never, and I think I googled I even googled it <laughs> yeah I've never heard this story before you know <laughs> but like learning that you know within your own community there's people who you know think there's a preference for a lighter skin and a darker skin gets pushed to the back I like you know, you learn so much about racism, but you don't learn, you know, and especially as a white person, you learn a lot about racism and what you should be doing as an ally and stuff. And then you think, I never knew this was also happening. And maybe, yes. maybe another section. Yeah, there's another section I didn't know anything about. But I think my favorite was probably friendship because I think it's something that there's so, so many positives in it. And then there's also realism in it as well. That yeah. you go, you know what? There's some times that you just need to do a bit of chopping, but also you hold yourself accountable. And that's, Important. Okay. Yeah. What a fantastic review, Jesus! Yeah. You use me on the front. <laughs> <laughs> well, look at oh, I get you over an hour. I'm so sorry, but I was obviously no. Gonna- you're fine. You're fine. I had honestly I had a great time. I think it's really exciting speaking to. I don't think anyone actually understands as an author how exciting it is when someone says they've read the book and you're the actual first person apart from like my publication team and my, and my agents who has actually read the book. So I think I was excited to get like this perspective of someone who doesn't really know me, who has read the book and see what they thought of it. Um, so I was very excited for this because I just wanted to know. <laughs> and it's definitely different because I assumed it was an autobiography. I assumed it was going to be... Everyone did. And I, I didn't understand why because I always said... I said, I'm literally 26 years old. I know nothing about life. Like, I've literally scratched the surface of life. Like, why would you be writing a biography at the age of fucking 26? I haven't even lived. You know, what am I supposed to write about? <laughs> well, well, I, I had a crush on Tom. <laughs> yeah, and he did it not. He didn't like me back. Uh, the end. Um, yeah, no, I, I wouldn't be doing it. I don't think anyone, unless you're like, I don't think anyone under the age of 40 Unless you've lived like some extraordinary life. Yeah. I'm talking like you live true words and you wouldn't because you'd only be fucking. Wouldn't make sense. I just would, I personally wouldn't read a book and not a biography of someone under the age of 40 unless like they've like lived this extraordinary life that like yeah. I can't believe. If it's someone like him from Afghanistan and, you know, lived through. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah, I get what you yeah. mean. You know, you just like some people will probably look at it and go, Oh, Love Island writes an autobiography. I know. Jesus like, it's not an autobiography. It's- yeah, it's an autobiography. Stop it. <laughs> it's just <laughs> essays. Essays. It's a book of essays. And they're, they're, look, they're even got references in them. You know, you can check them. <laughs> it's a 
real book. Claiming is all about reflecting. And the whole book for me was about reflecting, reclaiming, and just regaining that strength and that power back. So I hope people like it. They don't, Jesus Christ, I don't know. Just turn off your whole <laughs> for a few weeks. Exactly, I don't, I don't know now. It's got off to a beat again. I just hope people like the cover because it does take a lot of work. Now I'm never going to critique a book cover again because I know the amount of work that goes in and even publishing. Like I've learned so much, so much in the past year about what really goes into writing and publishing a book and I think that's why I wanted to do it that's why I never wanted to go writer. I wanted to do everything myself I'm across all emails I'm on zoom calls all the fucking time they are fucking sick of me <laughs> sick of me um but I really wanted to be invested in every single aspect of marketing cover everything and um, because it was at the end of the day it's my book like it's my project it's, it's mine yeah you don't, want to, you don't want to get a copy in the post. You're like, I don't, did, did I write this or did John? <laughs> I, I don't believe that. It's just like, so now yeah. you can talk over it. Everything that says anyone good or bad, you can say, well, it's my opinion. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right, girl, I have kept you so long. So I'm going to let you go back to your yeah, day in your lovely house and uh, chill out with your, <laughs> your gorgeous trackies like me. <laughs> thank you right, so well, much. Oh, thank you so much. I really, I had such a good time chatting to you. Normally I'd be like, look and go and I probably should wrap this up. But we're going to go. <laughs> I was like, we're having so much crack, so we'll keep going. All right, girl. It was lovely right. to chat you. Oh, you too. Thanks so much. Right, Thank bye. you. Bye. So that was my chat there with Wanda. So what do you think? Did you enjoy? Did you learn something from it? I imagine when you read the book, you'll probably pick up something that you may not have known. You will pick up something that you will learn. I, as I explained to her, definitely picked up stuff from the friendship chapter. And I also picked up stuff from the colorism chapter. As I mentioned, you know, uh, you are very aware of racism and, you know, how I suppose obvious it is at times um, and how, you know, certain words are not uh, acceptable, but maybe a colorism, it might be a thing that you didn't know about. So that was definitely a learning curve for me. Um, the book, as I mentioned, is out on July 14th, Reclaiming. You can pre-order or you can go and pick it up yourself. Um, so lovely to talk to her and looking forward to seeing what she does next. And she mentioned, you know, she might go back to science. She mentioned that she could be a TV presenter and do some documentaries. So that would be really interesting to see. And look, I'm sure she'll have another book in her in the next couple of years right so guys that that, I'll let you go because it has been a long hell chat today if you enjoyed this we do have lots of other episodes so please scroll back Um, if you like Love Island we have a chat with Montana Brown Um, she was so so lovely and she spoke about her experience in the villa we also have, as I mentioned, the last episode was James Patrice. Uh, before that was Billy from Aslan and the lovely Trisha's Transformation. We've got people from EastEnders, Fair City, X Factor, that's Shane Ward and Matt Cardle. Um, I forget now because this is season three and we're on episode like 13. But there's loads and loads there. So please do scroll back and share with your friends and share on your social media, all that kind of stuff, because it's just me doing this slog all on my own. So I really love, I love any little help you can give me. Anyway, have a brilliant Saturday and or a brilliant day, whatever day you're listening to this. And if you do want to send me a message, you'll get me on Twitter and on Instagram as well as yourself. All right, lovelies. Shlongafol. Talk to you soon.